All right, everyone. It is uh, another Tuesday, and we are on the MSP Initiative Live. My partner in crime, Kenny P., Ken Patterson from Pax 8, tied up today for, with uh, another obligation. So uh, we brought some guest speakers on to talk shop, see how things are going out in the world. From Zorus, we have Ian McCord. I'm sure that's a familiar name for many out there. And his co-partner, Chris. Good, good afternoon. Good morning for some of you out there on the West Coast. Thanks for having us. 100%. No, thanks for jumping on, guys. We are live from Fort Worth, Texas. We are on day two of the Channel Strong Tour. Yeah, we got the you know, Channel Strong Tour. That was great. Uh, so we are, uh, we are out and about, right, trying to uh, see what's happening on the street, you know, see, see what the vibe is. And I'll tell you right now, the vibe down in Texas is open. <laughs> happy to hear it yeah. so that's uh it's a good sign it's a good sign we're we're seeing we're seeing lots of uh lots of activity lots of people out and about which is good because um you know kind of makes you feel like uh <laughs> things are, are maybe getting a little bit closer to 2019 than 2020 you know what i mean hopefully uh yeah well that that <laughs> is that is the hope <laughs> how, how are you guys doing today how you guys are up in connecticut right yeah, yeah. Coming from Norwalk, Connecticut. Um, it's a uh, nice gray day as, uh, as March usually is around here, but, uh, but not too bad. It's feeling like it's warming up soon and snow's gone and yeah, getting, getting back to it. Yeah, that's the one thing that's great down here. The weather is just fantastic. I mean, we're talking 70s, 75. I mean, one day it'll get up to 80 down here in the southern part of the country, so that's nice. A yeah, sun. That's, that's yeah. beautiful. George, where, where exactly are you right now? Give us a little bit of a breakdown. I know Ian and I can't wait. We're we're scheduled to kind of go down to Florida a, a little bit later, you know, April May time frame. Sure, but sure. but but we've been kind of stuck up here in the warm. So give us a breakdown of where exactly you're at and and how things are going. Yeah, so uh, we started our trip in uh, Plano, which is kind of northern suburbs of uh, Dallas. Uh, and, uh, I am on the channel strong tour bus. I'm in the back room of the tour bus here, kind of like making a little office space for the day. Uh, but we have, uh, we're driving in style. You know, everybody here on the bus is, uh, is getting the, uh, you know, the, they don't have to Uber everywhere. They don't have to worry about getting, you know, renting a car. Right. It's all, it's all part of the, you know, the little safe bubble that we created here, but, uh, no, it's been fantastic. And, uh, right now, uh, you know, I got a little TV over here with an Xbox and a PlayStation and a Wii and a direct TV box. And then we got, you know, bunks if people want to take a nap. And then we have like another living space, kitchen-ish area. And then, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty big, it's a, it's, a tour, it's a tour bus. Think about a Greyhound with all the seats out and a lot nicer. That, that sounds like a must-see as you're touring the country here. I don't know about you, but man. Well, I mean, if I could... Uh, <laughs> You know, if I can imagine how to maneuver through here with the laptop, maybe I'll think about it. But right now you get me in the back room. So you can kind of see in the mirror behind me, you got my TV over here. we got this lounge area. It's kind of nice, nice operation. But uh, comfort is important when you're doing a couple thousand miles. Trust me. Yep. Trust me. Like first tour we did 7,600 miles. That was a bit, that was a bit big to chew. I think we, so we narrowed it down as we move forward. So yeah, so we're in Texas. Uh, we end up in New Orleans on Friday, uh, and then we're actually going to be in Florida next week, and we end up in Atlanta on the last uh, Atlanta area, northern suburbs, on the last day of the tour. 
and then that'll be this two week round. And we come back out in May and we do it all over again in just a different part of the country. So should be good times. The good, you know, good thing is, like I said, a lot of people are still doing, even though, like, I know, you know, I think Connecticut, where you guys at, opened up, right? I think people can, like, actually leave their houses and, then like, live a little bit. Um, so it's 100% open down here, but people are still wearing masks, even though there's not a mask mandate, right? So the signs have switched from, you must wear a mask, to, uh, we strongly encourage you to wear a mask. And a lot of people do. So it's good. Uh, obviously, when you're outside, fresh air is good. Uh, so that's what we like to do. But... Um, so far, like, again, we had, you know, two events on day one and the growing theme is, um, you know, again, maybe they're a little bit ahead of the, of the, um, the rest of the country, right? Some of these states that, that had different situations, but, um, a lot of people are back to work, you know, meaning like, you know, we all, we all talked about, Hey, what does this look like for the next 24 months? Right? Like mm -hmm. does the office ever get repopulated or is it just a bunch of empty desks and cubes? Um, so we're seeing that like 60 to 70% are back in the office. Um, and then maybe there's a small subsection of people for whatever reason that are still working remote. Um, some people are talking about rotation. A lot of people say, no, you do what's best for you. So it's been an interesting, I mean, we're starting to see the percentage come back to what we saw before rather than like a 50, 50 split or something like that. Um, and then <laughs> for the, I, I have heard, a few times now that um, you know people are trying to renegotiate with their their landlords and their commercial real estate people, and I'm sure all those conversations are interesting. But um, you know, I, I think that we're seeing a lot of people going going back the other way. Now, some companies are very conservative, which is fine, and they only have two or three people in the office. Everybody's still remote, but I think we're starting to see the pendulum swing back the other way. Yeah, I mean, and, and I think that um, from the businesses and the business owners that, that I've been talking to, um, I, I think the term hybrid employment is really going to be something that we're, we're going to hear a lot more about in the next couple of years. Um, and that is the idea you're in the office at some points in time during the week, or even maybe you're in the office for quarterly meetings. I was um, just talking to somebody about exactly this yesterday right it's like hey you know the people that are geoed in a city right they like to bring their people in at the end like the last week of the month right so three weeks at home one week in the office yeah. but then the people who are really super duper spread out right they're just hiring from best you know available you know brain power rather than where you're located you know you know 2019 edition you usually do one or two events a year generally the school thought was to bring everybody together into one place but there's a lot of talk about quarterly now. That seems to be the big, the big concept, right? Like they're thinking twice a year, once a year is not enough. And uh, for the strictly remote people, that quarterly is a really good option. Yeah, I mean, and, and I think the, the cool thing is that, you know, more people, more companies may adopt doing that quarterly meeting, but they'll move it around and they'll do it, you know, up places that people want to go, you know, down to Florida or down to Texas in the winter you know, exploring different parts of the country um, that are easier to travel for some people. And then, you know, and just sort of trading that off. I, I, I think that's a pretty good model. Um, but yeah. it, it really does, you know, from my perspective is, is just being a business owner um, who manages remote people, um, the long-term challenges of managing remote employees is certainly becoming clear. And, and uh, it, it was kind of interesting um, you know, Tim Weller, and you can't quote him on this because, you know, this wasn't said publicly, but 
um, you know, I was in formal conversation with him and it was around uh, that, you know, there's a percentage of people and Dado's full remote right now um, that, you know, he feels aren't really doing as much, but he's not actually thinking about that. He's thinking about there's also a percentage of people that are now far more effective than they ever have been. But from his perspective, he can't identify either category. He can't figure out whether you are extra productive or you're not productive. Um, and so, you know, I think for managers, it is a growing challenge of just identifying what is really going on um, and, uh, and who are your top performers and not top performers and who are the people oh, that the, really yeah, fit the, into that model better. The performance review is really difficult now. I mean, like, you know, like, I know we joke about it, right? It's like, oh, did I get my TPS reports on time? Uh, I mean, it's a little bit deeper than that. And listen, you know, the human condition, right? Everybody, you know, sometimes gets very comfortable. And uh, like, you know, if you need a doctor's appointment, or you need to go down and grab your kid from somewhere, or you need to go pick up something from the store. I'm not sure there's a time clock on your computer where you're clocking and accounting for every minute of your day. Generally speaking, if the work's getting done and you're reachable, you're probably not going to get too much jam if from where I sit, right? The problem is, is that I think that, you know, we always talk about scope creep. Flexibility creep comes in too, right? Where people are just kind of like, oh, nobody's going to have a problem. And, you know, like I've told my people, right? Hey, you know, I had a guy who's like, hey, I'm going to be working from Florida this week. I'm like, I don't care. As long as you're doing your job, you could be on the beach for all I care. It don't matter to me. And so like people are taking advantage of that. I love that because there's flexibility there and that's a hiring, that's a good hiring thing. Right. But I think from, uh, the, there's also the, you know, there's the spectrum, right. On the other side, I think some people are definitely you know, abusing it. And I think at some point there's going to have to be a productivity check you know ch you know checker right i don't know whatever that is right maybe it's a you know a scorecard like you're you know you know 18 holes of golf or you know maybe there's soft i'm sure there's software out there we all know there's several packages that that start to you know monitor how long the people are on their computer you know, uh, you know is their computer idle are they actually in front of it are they clicking um <laughs> which which then gets really creative because i've heard people realize that their companies finally are using stuff like that and then they get like the little bobblehead that goes up and down and keeps on hitting the key, right? So the computer's live. Um, I you know, listen, you know, at some point it all catches up to you, but I do believe that um, there's, you know, like, let me ask you this. I'm going to go back the other way. You know, out of sight, out of mind, right? For the remote employees that were on the fringe back, you know, when everything was really in an office, Part of the problem for them was getting in front of their managers so that they they saw them right. Otherwise, like, you know, you start to get you you start to break apart from the actual conversation, and then like you get passed over for stuff, right? You, I mean, you know all of that, right? Yeah, no. So I, I mean, the the two terms that that I like to to use is that there are remote employees that are reactive, and there are remote employees that are proactive. And that is just a really big divide because when you're remote, it is so easy. And I've done this myself to be very reactive. If somebody sends me something, I'm on it. I got it. But if nobody sends anything and nobody schedules meetings with me, well then, yeah, maybe it takes me three hours to make a sandwich. You know, like maybe I'm cleaning things, maybe I'm doing some other stuff, you know, exactly. Right. So, and I think companies are just now feeling this that, hey, we're not starting as many new projects as we used to. We're not collaborating 
to solve bigger problems. We're just doing our day to day, but we're not striving for more. We're not growing. Um, and, and I think last year was a pass that it was like, okay, if we can just keep the business operating day to day, that's the win. But now we're in 2021 and everybody's sort of looking at yearly projections going, okay, where are we going? Like, you know, how do we get back onto the growing side? We know our business isn't going to end, thank God, but we still need to continue to grow. Um, and, and that I think is, is really where, you know, tools to help remote management come in as you think about, okay, this is a permanent thing and we want to get good at it. And, you know, how do we identify who's being proactive and how do we elevate those people? hundred percent. Like for us, like, it's like, Hey, I want you to be on the phone all day long as much as possible. Right. If you're only on an hour's worth of phone calls all day long, and let's say you're a salesperson, well, what happened to the rest of the day? Like, did you not have appointments? Did you not have follow-ups? Like, can you justify some of this, right? Because your job is to be in active communication with people, right? To get them through the sales process. Or let's say I have implementation people or onboarding people, right? Like, unless there's nobody to onboard, bad problem. Hopefully not the case. I expect that you're on calls a lot, right? I can kind of monitor that as a simple metric, right? Well, how many hours a day were you on these Zoom calls, phone calls, Teams calls, whatever? Um, and then, but, you know, the, the, the argument or the response to that is, hey, you know, like sometimes what I do is I'm super productive, like depending on your role, some people like to work at one, two, three o'clock in the morning and they just jam, right? Because there's mm-hmm. nothing bothering them. Sure. I mean, so I guess it depends on the role, but like how, when was the last time somebody went back and actually put clear bumpers around the expectation? And I think that's the problem, right? Like now all of a sudden it's gone on for a while and now like it's all coming back, crashing down and people are trying to actually go back to their people saying, Hey, listen guys, I think we need to change the routine here and we need to put some clear expectations in. Yeah. And I think that the, the other thing to think about is that, okay, in normal course of business, uh, you're just going to have some churn and you're, you know, in your people and all businesses do um, and just a wrong fit or whatever it is. Um, but when you think about it as a remote employee, um, you know, you want to follow a process of you want to be a coach and you want to help and you want to, you know, make it work. And then if it doesn't, it doesn't. But, you know, you want to be active in that. And that's where a performance plan would come in. Now, thinking about a remote only performance plan, what's the difference? You know, or how, how can you coach them? How, how do you know what, what's going on? You know, and, and part of the performance plan in the past had been just sort of sitting with them a little bit or meeting with them in person and just sort of kind of overview to see what their day is consisting of. So you can try to solve problems for them. Um, But, you know, you can't do that through Zoom meeting because they're not working when they're on the Zoom meeting with you. So, you know, where's the, how can you tell what's going on and being like, I need to identify that this person was, you know, trading all day. It's like, okay, well, like, I didn't know that. How, how, how do I know that? You know, they're not going to tell me like, you know, these are the kind of areas where you could get information that you wouldn't normally have that can make a more educated approach for how you coach and handle these employees. hundred percent. I think, I think the best terminology to put around this entire conversation is uh, time management. Like things that worked before may not be working now. Maybe the process has matured. Maybe the company has matured. Maybe there's less people like whatever it is. Change is coming right? You can't avoid it. But I think it's a question of the communication around it needs to be clear, needs to be ongoing. And you can't, you know, like do it all. uh, You almost need to take incremental steps back to the middle, right? So that that people like don't get 
the uh, the shock of, hey, you know, we're going to have to change it up. We're going to have to do things differently. But I'm definitely hearing, coming back to, like, word on the street, right? I'm curious to hear what you guys are hearing. But I'm definitely hearing that a um, lot more projects, a lot more deployments, a lot more onboardings. I'm talking from an MSP standpoint, right? Mm-hmm. Like, these people are starting to get – like, I was just at an MSP this morning where, where uh, Kenny P's out today down in Fort Worth. We're going to be at Channel Strong F1. I walked in and they literally had 60 surface laptops. They were, you know, like out of the boxes, implementing it for their, this one large customer. They do 50, 60 new deployments a month for this one customer. I was like, wow, that's awesome. <laughs> I'm glad, you know, I'm glad that, that you're super busy. But like, I thought the guy was setting up a call center, you know, until I was like, Hey, what's up with all these laptops? Oh yeah. We're, we're setting them up. Oh, okay. Great. Um, so I love hearing that. I think a lot of projects are coming back. I think a lot of, um, I think a lot of, and, and this has kind of been a theme over the last several weeks on these calls, um, that the customer that you thought would never need an MSP is now coming looking for an MSP all of a sudden. Oh yeah. And the growth in co-managed is just awesome. And then that is an area, you know, back in, in the data days where it was just sort of being talked about, but now it's commonplace that, you know, vis- that MSPs have a large section of their business is co-managed and um and that's awesome because they're getting into those relationships as vcio and that now you're really doing thought leadership you're really being a part of the team and and you can display all of the skill sets that you have and if you're an internal it having a co-managed situation is heaven for you because internal it without co-managed means that you have to just be a one-size-fits-all um, you know, for all of these different verticals that these, these businesses need. Um, and so I, well, well frankly, this, I, I think it's going to continue. This actually brings up a good point, right? Part of the reason why co-manage is so sticky is because a lot of these MSPs have access to software and tools and, and things that may be not available to the street. And a lot of recent topics have been, you know, vendor, bigger vendors acquiring smaller vendors. And then all of a sudden it becomes very not savory because the terms of, of business have changed. Uh, Datto, you know, coming back to your Datto days, right? You guys were one of the original, hey, you know, uh, we experimented. We're trying to figure out where we're going and you ended up, hey, we're doing channel only. Tell us why that model, like, you know, a lot of people struggle with that model. I would say over 90% of the vendors that say they're channel companies, really just have bolt-on channel programs that are the smaller revenue segment of their direct sales force. Why, why, why does the channel, why, why is it so hard to make the channel only model work? And why, why is it important to keep that model alive? Well, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you this. There, there are three things. There are three groups of people that, um, from my experience, really didn't believe that the channel was big enough to support a, a, a growing enterprise business. Uh, one was venture capital, two was private equity, and three was any executive that you hire. It was a top level executive in the past. Literally, these people, when we met with them, the first thing out of their mouth was, when are we going direct to the enterprise? Mm-hmm. So, so you guys are doing channel now, but when, when is it time to go direct to the enterprise and bump up the deal size and you know compete with the big players and get into VMworld and like, that just and it was on repeat and we had our own dado brainwashing session with austin of just let me tell you about the channel because you don't know what you're talking about and it's because hey look um 
the channel just doesn't Gatto is now, you know, a really big player that's now on the NASDAQ, which is phenomenal, but it is kind of the, one of the first, I mean, you know, you got, got solar wind sort of in there, but um, there isn't a ton of that model hasn't been proven out a ton of times. And so I don't blame them the, their previous experience, these, you know, investors and these new employees, these executives come with that mindset because it's just been beaten into them from everybody else. Um, and so what Datto did was very contrary to, um, you know, what's written in the book and contrary to what public opinion is. And, uh, but at the same time, it's a success story. And so I hopefully, hopefully that, that continues, you know, and, and, Obviously, at, at Zorus, I'm going to follow in the same footsteps. I mean, there, there'd be no reason not to. Um, and I would absolutely love for an outcome similar to Data, but that's let me so let me throw far a couple. Away. No, yeah, 100. Nobody's going to argue that. Let, let me throw a couple scenarios at you because I think people fear like, uh, you know, listen, you've been on both sides now. You're startup, startup that went unicorn, and now new startup. Um, MSP loses business to another MSP. And now all of a sudden there's a conflict because maybe there's a term attached to that service. How, what, what, I don't know how they're doing it now. What, how would you handle that situation? Well, you know, I'd say the, the best answer to that is that it really does need to come down to some custom attention. You, you really can't have a blanket policy uh, because that scenario could describe an MSP completely dropping the ball or it could describe a scenario where an end user essentially played these two businesses, mom against dad, um, yeah. you know, and, and how the vendor approaches it cannot be uniform because those are more two different approaches. Um, and I think that you gotta, you gotta reason with, with everybody and you, you gotta kind of understand what the situation is. And ultimately what's important from the vendor and both MSPs is that you don't lose the client. Like the, the client isn't just completely lost and the service isn't completely lost. Um, you know, and, and, uh, and price, that's certainly a sticky issue. You know, it, it certainly is. And, and you have to, from the vendor side, you have to understand that some of the larger partners, as opposed to the newer partners, they may have different pricing, but that's because they have, they've, you know, provided more business to the company and they've been, you know, with it's longer or whatever. Um, and so again, I don't have a blanket statement because I think a blanket statement would be wrong. Okay. Fair enough. What happens when an, uh, an end customer contacts the vendor directly? What's is the policy to reroute them back to the partner of record? And in the scenario where they're not transacting at all yet, how do you suggest that that entity gets referred to a partner? Ian, that, that's something that I could potentially even answer. Get in there. Yeah, yeah. So, so George, kind of the way that we're handling um, this on the Zorus side right now is, you know, in our partnership program, we have different tiers, obviously, that are assigned on a per seat count basis. And how we have it set up right now is based, you know, if, if you reach that certain tier threshold and you are considered, you know, what we call a silver level partner, yeah, as long uh, yeah. Level. Exactly. As long as you are in the geography of where that end user is reaching out from, we will serve up that first app at to you, seeing as you are already a trusted partner, you're already familiar uh, with our technology and with us as a team. So we're going to kind of give you that first at bat. Um, obviously, from there, we'll kind of trickle stuff out if, if things don't work out. But we absolutely do believe that, you know, number one, we'll take any and all leads, right? Especially me from a sales angle, I'm never going to say no to leads. Um, and what really, really what helps and what's great, again, from 
that partnership perspective, being channel only, establishing those relationships with people that we trust, not only to, you know, take care of our clientele, but also, you know, correctly install all of our, all of our technologies. Um, I, I, when, I'm going to pick, I'm going to stop you right there. I'm going to pick, yeah. pick one thing that you said, which is important. Yeah. I want to hear, I want to hear the opinion now. Yeah. How critical is it that the MSP and their contact at said vendor how important is that relationship to lead distribution? I got to think there's a one-to-one correlation there. If you're never talking to your accountant, manager, rep, per, per, whatever it is, put whatever title you want to it, and a lead comes through, they're probably not sending it to you, no? Well, yeah, yeah. So I think, look, I mean, you guys are definitely even more established and, and familiar with the channel than I am. This is a relationship business, right? So that, that relationship, whether it be um, from, from vendor to MSP, from MSP to end user, um, those rela- the relationships win. So I, so I would just argue that, you know, having, having that kind of bi-directional communication, um, the relationship, and then of course, like that trust at the end of the day, that trust is so crucial in, in doing business, particularly in this space. Um, that's something that, that we absolutely take seriously. And, and frankly, you know, Ian can talk like from a channel perspective, you know, if, if you do it right, it, it can take you a long, long way. Hundred percent. Yeah, and, and, yeah I, was, I was just gonna say um, something that is just interesting to kind of hear about is so Datto, um, we had some pretty big discussions, especially when we sort of got a lot larger around do we spend money on advertising to you know to end users mm-hmm. and then you know creating you this whole. You did a commercial. I saw it. Come <laughs> you did. And you you probably were like one of the only people that saw it. Nothing that, gets by George, man. <laughs> that commercial, that commercial did, did not did not do it as well as we thought. But um, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, but it, it was it was kind of interesting because there were two camps that were saying, "Hey, we should drum up a whole bunch of business for MSPs and we should filter it out." Um, but in it sounded good in theory, but in practice, one of the challenges is that it almost undercut the MSP, and that they're thinking that now an MSP looks more like a VAR, and that they're just reselling data. And so you know. If you want to reduce conflicts between MSPs and end users, it's let the MSP sell in the way that they sell and the value adds that they provide. Um, and if you get too involved as a vendor, then there isn't there isn't loyalty to the MSP. There's loyalty to the vendor, and then you're now you're you're opening yourself up to so many more problems. Um, you know, because we were all also thinking about like deal registry and how could that work, yeah. um, and. I got to tell you, if you really, the most successful way to run a channel only vendor is to try to stay out of the end users, try to stay out of their business. You want to route leads that you get for free, but I don't know if you want to spend a ton of marketing on trying to drum up leads for MSPs as much as you want to spend that money on providing end user resources that the MSP can then send out or even giving, you know, helping them get to Robin Robbins or some other, you know, marketing conferences, help them, you know, support them MDF like that, that was ended up being so much more successful than our direct to end user because we are channel only. So stay a little bit, stay out of it. Okay. So, so this is, this is a, the next shoe that drops right after what you just said. Then, then what's the position on the vendor's logo on said app, box, whatever, versus either a gray label, nothing special, or the MSP's branding? Where, where do you sit in that conversation? I'm always giving you the choice. I'm always giving you the choice. Okay. You can use our brand. Happy to do it. Happy to help. 
and happy to try to always be presenting Zorus as a really, you know, a great company that if somebody looked it up was like, this is a really great company and a product that's made by a good company. Uh, but I'm always going to give you the choice to put your own branding on it. All the marketing materials and all of the interfaces. There's, you know, I, I think the MSP should choose. At, if they at, a cost, at a cost or at any level? Any level. Nope. Okay. As soon as you sign up, you can brand it whatever you want, or you can use our branding. You get the choice. Okay. Very good. That's important. But at what point do you need to educate the MSP that if they put their label on everything and they're saying that's them, it's their solution, that there's some liability that comes along with that if something is a problem. I'm not saying that, that we want a problem. It's technology. It's not always perfect, but like they need to understand what, how terms and conditions and all that other stuff works to make sure that their end customer isn't, you know, having an unfair expectation on them in the middle of the sandwich. Right. I gotta say in, in, in theory, there, there's definitely scenarios that pop up in practice. They don't come up as often as you think. I think MSPs are the partners that we sign up with that, that I've worked with in the years that I've been in the channel. Um, they're, they're well aware of, you know, what these products are, how to sell them, how to create, you know, terms and agreements with them. And um, I, I just didn't feel like it, it came up very often. Okay. I, they, they certainly did. They certainly did. And, and you know, it did, again, requires individual attention and, um, and you got to educate them. But um, look, the, these, I would say most MSPs exceed my expectations in terms of uh, how mature they are and, and how to, you know, resell and represent products. Okay. So now I'm going to, uh, yeah, now I'm picking your brain, right? This is, this is open season because it covers everybody now. What's your opinion on minimum commits? Yeah, minimum commitments. Ah, oh, man, that I, it's, it's a tough one. That's why I gotta ask the hard questions here. Oh no, no doubt, no doubt. Um, I'll give my mine, and then and then Chris, I want you. To, I kind of want to hear yours as well. Um, all right. So I, I mean, I come from the school of of, of Austin Knox, I guess hard knocks, and you know he was month to month to month, no commitments. You know, I earn your business every month. Jado then I actually did sort of transition to more longer term commitments as as the company grew. Um, but I'm I'm probably you know we have a, a a minimum commitment of 15 seats, which is a pretty nominal amount of seats. Like that's not a huge 15, amount. You 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 got to at least be breathing to get 15 seats. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, right. You know. Um. Uh, yeah. It's not a very substantial minimum commitment, and I'd almost describe it as basically not a minimum commitment. Um. Because I just I I don't know I like sticking an MSP with a bill that they're not making money off of is just so counterproductive to the channel. Like, okay, maybe I could get a couple dimes out of this, but it's A, like a really high churn risk as a business owner and B, it's just bad business. Like, well, I'm not as, I, I don't want to be Verizon. I don't want to stick you with the early determination fee. I hope, I, hope, I hope vendors that are watching this are listening. Go ahead, continue. <laughs> no, but it, it just, come on, build the business the right way. You can, you can, you can be profitable and you can be, um, you know, a, a sustainable business that can, ultimately land in the NASDAQ possibly it, without having to do that kind of gotcha stuff. And especially if you're going to be channel only, these partners know that they talk and they'll, you know, if they get burned, it's, you're taking money right out of their pocket because they're the last ones who get paid. And so that, that money where they're not making money off of, that's coming right out of their basic salary. And so that's the, the sting that hurts the most. Yeah. Um, and, and I would just say just quickly to, to parlay on, on that, you, you know, George, 
like, and Ian said it perfectly, but, but what we're really pushing for as a company or in this space isn't, we're not pushing to get commitments. We're, we're pushing to build partnerships. And the way that you truly build a partnership is by number one, adding a ton of value, right? So um, whoever you're working with, they know the value that you're bringing, you're making their life easy, you're improving their business, you're improving their path to market, anything along those lines, you're providing that. And then, and then number two, you're, you're, you're servicing that, that person. So we kind of feel if, if we're doing all the right things, the product is where it needs to be, the relationship is where it needs to be, the service and support, everything along those lines is where it needs to be, then we're not talking about minimum seat commitments. We're talking about helping grow people's business. And that's truly the path to success here. It's not by locking someone into an annual contract where you're paying us you know, for at least 100 seats or whatever that may be. Um, it's just that that's kind of like a, a short-term way to success and, and kind of not where our focus is as an organization. Okay, then guys, how do you convince? I mean, there's a natural course of the evolution of things, right? At some point, the money men come in with their bags and they throw it onto the conference table and they say, this is how we're going to do it. And you're like, well, wait a minute. This is counter to how we've gotten to this point. Why are we going to do it this way again? Like, you're saying that there's a natural tendency for the guys coming downstream to just assume this is how things get done. How much do you have a say once that, that entity comes into the equation? Because we're, I mean, there's a general trend where it seems like there is no say, it seems like that's just the playbook. Yeah. I mean, kahunas, man, you gotta be, you gotta kind of be big, you know, I'm not going to say the term, but you got to be the big man, right? You got to uh, tell them that this is how it's going to be done or I'm not here. Like, and then, you know, that was a, a line that I heard so many times from Austin because uh, it just that's and that was the truth. And he just was like that. And that's how I do it the same way. And um, it obviously I'd say now that there's been a little bit of success behind some of these things, it, you're not paving the first road. You're, you're riding on a road that's already been done. Um, mm -hmm. So I think it's getting there. Um, but yeah, you're going to fight uphill. But and you know, it comes to a bigger discussion about, well, you might um, you might get a better price if you work with a vendor who's larger, um, but you're going to have to deal with some of these policies that are just absolute backbreakers. And, but that, you know, it's like, well, you shopped at Walmart instead of your local store, like that's, you're going to have to deal with that. Um, can, we take a, can we take a peek behind the curtain for just a second? Sure. I assume you've been in the room when you start shopping for that partner. Like you don't just show up one day and just sign a piece of paper. There's multiple presentations. There's multiple conversations. Can you give us a little bit of understanding of what that looks like so that the people from the other side of the aisle can understand what, it, you know, what you have to go through on your side? Yeah. I mean, and, and, you know, I, I think what you'll, what you'll hear from a lot of them is that uh, an, an investment is it's supposed to be one plus one equals three. They're yeah. giving you money, but they're also trying to help your business. And you're trying to find a partner that a understands what you're doing and where you want to go. Uh, and B has the resources and the ability to, to guide you and to teach you things you might not know and um, to just be a general good partner. Now that's also balanced with the amount of money that they're planning on giving you at the valuation that they're planning on giving you. Um, and certainly there are, you know, some, uh, <laughs> there's some firms that are a little more shady and that will pay more because they know that that's, Hey, that's the game. That's the game they're playing, you know? And, and um, 
I'm not going to name names, but you know, they exist. Um, and so the question becomes, are you, did you start this business just for money or were you thinking about doing something more? And also you have to work with these people for years of time. And they're as much as you think it's like, oh, it's only board meetings. I deal with investors a lot and um, <laughs> certainly not just once a quarter. Uh, so you pick people that you can that you can work with who, and it really comes down to who can understand where you want to go and believe in you. Like if they're coming in and saying, Hey, this is a model and this is how it goes and you have to follow it. Uh, that that's scary. Uh, and, and we got that, um, from, we got that a couple of times from some investors that we had to walk away deals with. And Austin, uh, some of his older keynotes, he talks about this hundred million dollars that he was offered early on at Datto. Um, but it was involved move, just firing the whole company, moving it up to Boston, merging it with another company, uh, and that he was going to be around for about a year. And, you know, it was, it was a lot of money, but at the same time, it meant that he didn't have a job anymore. And that the thing that he had spent all this time getting to some success, that he wouldn't have any more, you know, enjoyment in, in running it and building it and communicating with the partners. And he would have failed not only his employees, but all the early data partners into they would have ended up being, yeah, thrown with all these policies and crap that would have just made it be like, why did I, why did I go with this company uh, and believe in, you know, in, in this person or this team? Um, so, yeah. How, I mean, how often do the money men uh, place people within the organization within higher roles, like decision making roles? Like, obviously, there's a board, right? And that's more of a, you know, percentage of decision-making, right? We get that, but I'm talking about the day-to-day, -day, right? Like the people who are in the business doing things, are they saying, hey, but this person's now gonna be in this role or do you still have say over who's coming into the organization? Um, for the most part, you really do have say. Um, they, they, unless you've, you know, come to a, a point where they, they, you know, agree to disagree, then they'll start placing people. But as long as you work together, um, you know, they, they have a Rolodex and they really love to place, not place, but they love to suggest people for positions. Um, and I think that the, the fun part about growing a, a, these businesses is that there are some positions that are a little bit less um, sort of channel focused, like, you know, on the, the CFO side, like Datto had a, a, a multiple CFOs um, over the years that were, um, they were Rolodex from General Catalyst and TCV and those kind of guys. Um, and they were great. They're people that they didn't, the channel wasn't as much of a thing. It was more like, hey, do you, do you know how to do tax treatments? Do you know how to handle these, you know, this unicorn round? Like, do you know how to set up some of these stock option plans for employees and all that kind of stuff. So. To make sure that the file of this tax return it just became a thousand pages yeah yeah yeah, yeah. well and it's like hey do you, do you know how to like you know pay off credit cards because it seems like austin and i have forgotten doing to do that a couple times yeah. <laughs> well, I'm, sure, I'm, sure, I'm, sure, I'm sure rob ray's team had a little bit to do with that um <laughs> oh, oh yeah oh yeah the bill from the w hotel it's like wow did you buy the whole hotel like what, what this, this was like, the lobby bar like, yeah, it's, it's like that scene from batman begins where the guy's like you can't be in this and he's like well i just bought this hotel here's a check yeah oh yeah <laughs> yeah I, I watched that recently yeah he's, he's just like ah they can push the tables together. I own it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, it's all on HBO Max now because I'm so excited for the new Snyder Snyder Cut, right? Coming down the street in a day or two. Uh, by the way, like it's literally like all, everything's going to stop. We're going to watch that. I don't care how long it is. Four hours, five hours, ten hours. We'll get through it. You got um, the board at the bus there. That sounds good. Uh, oh, dude, we have there it all set up. Go. We're good to go. We got every streaming service on the planet. Um, so, so let me go this way. Would you, how would you suggest 
the MSP, like there's a visibility problem, right? Like they want to understand what's happening upstream so that they know how it's going to affect their business. They know how it's going to affect their customer. Why is it, and I've said this now multiple times, but why is it that there is no defined roadmap? Why is it that they're, you know, like, especially in a transactional situation, wouldn't it make sense to say, hey, don't worry, here's what's coming up. Here's the, here's the blueprint. This is where we're going. Stay on board, calm down. Nothing's, nothing bad's going to happen. That never happens. Why is that? I, is, it, is it a competitive thing? Like what, what, what's, the, what's the reason not to be transparent? reason not to be transparent um i i I mean it's almost like to me i'm gonna tell you what i think it is sure it's it's a commitment issue nobody wants to say hey this is what we're gonna do and we're gonna do it at this time because they they were like well maybe we change our mind maybe we won't do that maybe we'll go over here because we think it'll help us better and we'll get back to this thing later on and because we don't think it's as important right now whatever right like it's a commitment problem but that relationship commitment problem is what I'm terming this causes a lot of angst on the other side, right? Like for, I'm sure Chris and sales churn is, is kryptonite, right? He doesn't want to hear that at all. It does cause that to happen guys. I mean, it, it's, we see it right now happening today with, you know, I'm not going to even name the names cause we all know who and where, but I just feel like that's such an easy thing to fix. So yeah, George, just for my clarity, are you talking more about the relationship between like vendors and MSPs specifically? Yeah. So like, you know, and here's a scenario, right? Yeah, please. I have, I have a vendor, either I'm on the up and coming like you guys are, right? Or mm-hmm. I'm established and I want my I want my partners to know that we're still innovating, right? We haven't gotten stagnant. We are working to their behalf. We're listening and we're taking that feedback and doing something with it. Mm-hmm. If in the case of a transaction, right? Hey, I just got acquired or I took a huge funding round from a big guy. There's a lot of, you know, speculation that happens in that period. Right. And speculation to the point where people just decide to shift vendors on the fly, which I would say is a jump, jump to the gun sometimes. Right. Cause it's like, you got to stop everything you're doing to just put the man hours in to burn through whatever. But at the end of the day, it's like, I feel like that transition is, could be handled better from vendor to, to partner. Yeah, I, I think it could be, but I guess I, I'd only counter to the fact that I, <laughs> I think the vendors try, but, you know, just like, I guarantee you that all of these vendors, and I know Datto did, was as soon as we had a transaction, it was, you know, Austin's, you know, webinar, ah, it's going to be okay, it's going to be okay, but everybody hops on Reddit and is like, no, it's not, no, it's not, these people are awful, this is going to be terrible, it's like, well, what, what else could we have done? We told you it was going to be okay. But, but you know, and, and also you just got to remember that even as a vendor um, and even as a big vendor, just the course corrections that are needed in engineering, we're, we're still, we're trying to build something. And sometimes it works. And sometimes and a lot of times it just doesn't work. And so, you know, we could come out and tell you that we're trying to build something, but if it doesn't work, then you're like, well, I was planning on this. It's like, okay, well, I don't, you know, I'm sorry, I don't have the engineers. I don't, we can't, you know, we're defying laws here. I don't know, we can't build it. Like we don't know how. Um, 
So I, you know, I, I think even the biggest vendors still struggle with building and innovating and it's hard. And so we just don't want to promise you something on a timeline and of feature set that we can't deliver on. Cause then we, we feel that we've failed. So, you so, know, so it's kind of like under promise over deliver rather than set the bar so high that it's impossible. Yeah. I, and I wouldn't even say <laughs> that was not under promise because it's just, we really don't know exactly what this product is going to be. Like we can tell you some high level goals that we have, but we're still building it and we still haven't made the decisions. And that a product isn't an idea, it's a series of decisions. And the decisions probably haven't majority been made. And so we don't even know how to present this to you because it doesn't, it's not even done. Like the idea, the concept isn't even finished. You know, like we're trying, the thing is every time, and I was head of product, every time I do some roadmap stuff, I'd get bombarded with like 40 questions of like, will it support this? Is it going to do this? Is it going to have this? Like, what's the price? When's it coming out? What's this? I was like, I don't know. I, I, I can't tell you. I like, I'm not holding anything back. I truly don't know. <laughs> okay. No, Hey, that's a, that's an honest answer. I really appreciate that. Cause I think people don't think about the seat yeah. from the other side. Yeah, I, I'd love to tell you more, but I, you know, you have to join my weekly scrum meetings. Because you know? <laughs> before that meeting, it hasn't been decided yet. Yeah, no, fair enough. All right, here's one that that actually wrote. I wrote a blog on this a few weeks back, but I want to I want to see what your opinion is on this. Is there is the NFR just a time trial, or is it legit? Because I know it's used as a sales tool, but in reality. I feel like the NFR is just a, another packaging of a time trial and that I don't think NFR should ever be used in production. I know the MSPs always want it for free, but like, dude, if you're getting it for free, number one, are you going to even spend the time on it? I can't tell you how many times somebody signed up. They're like, Oh yeah, give it to me for free. I'll check it out. And then boom, crickets. A year later, they come back. They're like, Oh yeah. Remember the NFR? No. <laughs> I'd love, love to hear your opinion on that. Chris. Yeah, I was just say, I could probably take over this one too. <laughs> um, so that's a great question too, George. And, and the, the answer that I would give is um, there, there is a difference between an NFR and a free trial, right? So, so we believe really strongly in a free trial process over here at, at Zorus. That, that is something that we have baked in. Number one, because look, we're a software and we completely understand, understand as an MSP, before you guys make any sort of a commitment or before you pay us for services, you guys want a chance to break it, right? Like, does it work? How well does it work? Like, can we find any flaws? Is this something that I can deploy, you know, in the masses and it's not going to be a ton of extra work for me? So, you know, we know that we can do all those things and, and we make it easy and we believe in a free trial process for that. Now, regarding NFRs, frankly, look, this product is built for MSPs by a bunch of guys that are ultimately that are in, intimately familiar with MSPs and everything that's on our roadmap has been requested by MSPs. So I believe really strongly in giving NFR licenses to our trusted partners, uh, those that generally do have some sort of a, a minimum seat count that that is there. Not only are they paying us for these seats, but they're they're using a lot of the seats. So they're experts with our product. I absolutely believe in giving folks um, those those NFR seats completely for for free without any charge um, and, and having but, that be as, as long okay. as they're a partner. That, that's that's part of it. Just to be, yeah. clear, just to be clear, you're not yep. using NFR as a carrot to get them to try. The NFR is really a, hey, we're really strongly partnered and we're both helping. You're at a certain partnership commitment, right? And I'm saying commitment, not dollar amount. I'm talking about you're in it. You're in the sandbox together. So we're going to reward you for that partnership by giving you a bone. 
Yep. So, so we, we kind of see it as an incentive and I do just want to put in the quick caveat um, right now it's not in place, but talking about like product roadmaps and things on those lines, we're a couple months out from, from having that again for, 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 for the partners where it makes sense yeah, no, to have I'm that, that commitment. Big, I'm just talking conceptually here anyway, right? Like yep, yep. I always felt the, I don't know whether you want to call it the freemium model. I always called it the bait and switch model. Cause that's really what it was in the end. I give you an NFR. You start, you use it in your company in production. Day zero. I haven't even done anything yet. And then you're using it, you're using it, you're using it. You never did anything with this company. And then all of a sudden you get the message saying, yep, we're shutting you off. The NFR is going away. Wait a minute. NFR, I thought it's supposed to last forever. And then like the lights go off and the company's pissed off. I, I mean, that's a bait and switch to me. Yeah. 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 Uh, or go ahead. Ian. Yeah. yeah, no, I was going to say that certainly is a bait and switch. Right. <laughs> that's a, that's a trial. And I, you know, I, I see it from, from both sides too, of the being the vendor of just, yeah, we've definitely, you know, I've given away datas and they just never turn on. It's like, okay, that was worthwhile. Um, but I, you know, how do you solve that problem? Look, these MSPs are focused on running their business, trying out different vendors software. I can understand why that falls low on a priority list because that's not making them any money either. And there are a billion vendors. And so I, I have more empathy for the fact that, I, look, I understand that it might take you a while to try out our software. Like I get that. And hey, you know, as you get a reputation in the channel, you start finding partners that'll sell your software without trying it out because they've talked to somebody who they knew who, who loves managing, you know, selling it, managing it, and you trust them. And these guys, they're, they're real business people. They just get that, that, hey, sometimes I don't have time to try this. I gotta get it out. This customer needs a service. This is a service from a vendor I trust. Sure, let's go, let's do it on the fly. Right. Nice, no, I, I, I listen, it's all big picture stuff, guys, but I, I can't tell you the amount of hours and days and you know the thousand Reddit posts or Facebook groups or forum in some back alley of the internet and it just like, Put, let's put an end to the to the to the conversation and let's just set the guidelines like i don't understand um and i will tell you every cfo in the world just hates nfrs they're just scheming <laughs> about how you're selling them and how you're just ripping the company off for money and you have to calm them down <laughs> they get a little fired up about that it's like what does this matter this is such small numbers let's focus on important things how yeah so when it comes to you know, the blueprint of, of taking something from zero into building a, a company, right? At what point do you feel it's realistic for the vendor to start pumping some of your marketing dollars and from a budgeting standpoint into MDF that goes out to a partner? I mean, it's got, it's not day one. I mean, no, no it's not day one. I, you know, it's, I mean, and it's hard to really gauge by like yeah. what what's what is the factor of how big a company is. You know, is it people? Is it Series A, Series B, whatever? Um, I don't know if there's like a standard hard metric. Question. All right, yeah, well, let's, hard, let's, but definitely let's, past Series A. You know what I mean? Like it's they, they've got money to spend. All right, so let me flip it into the other side. When you decide to finally put MDF out there as a as an option as a carrot. What is the, the, what, how do you define the ROI from your side of the, the aisle? How do you determine whether those MDF dollars actually went somewhere for you? Well, and the real question is, what are you supposed to do about it? You know, because 
Like, what, what are you going to tell them that they don't get the MDF next year because they didn't use you didn't make enough money off of their conference? You know, I think I think as a as a vendor, I, I kind of look at it as if I have the money to spend on MDF, um, I'll track it. But I'm I'm it's sunken cost. And, and you know what, maybe it, it made their business money, but it didn't sell some of our software. Well, whatever. OK, that's still good for the channel. Like because uh, I'm not going to rip money away from people because they weren't productive in selling my product. Like they're not on my sales team. I, I can't really be that, you know, heavy handed with them. I see it as, okay. Yeah. When we have the money that we can spend on this, we just treat it as a cost that we are investing into the channel. Oh, it's a fair response. I'm, I, you know, all of these questions are designed to make sure that the people on the other side of the aisle understand the, the, the thought, like that's, it's like a, it's like all of a sudden they all come up with, what they think's happening, and I just want them to hear it. Yeah, yeah that way. I, 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 will say, I have refused some MDF requests, like things like, you know, somebody wanted to sponsor like a boat crossing the English Channel. Like, okay. <laughs> I don't know if that's going to get us where we want to go. You know what I mean? I like that. That sounds like you're getting tickets to watch the boat go across the English Channel. Like, and that doesn't seem like you're really selling. You know, so it definitely helps when it's like a lunch and learn or it's something Rotary Club or it's some, you know, something where they're really creating new business opportunities. I'd say that the sponsorships of big, you know, things, it's like, ah, advertisement, that's ah, tricky. Yeah. Like, you know, the, the logo and the UFC ring, right? <laughs> yeah. Like that, you know, so. That's oh, okay. So, so what, you know. Obviously, Datacon's a staple. I know you're a big part of that for, you know, from day zero, right? And now you're seeing, I'm sure you'll be involved once it comes back. I mean, we hear. October, baby. I'm yeah, looking we hear, forward to it. We, hear, we don't know where. We no. don't have the region, but we have dates. Um, so that's, so it's in the calendar. Um, and uh, ConnectWise came out today. They had like a little Facebook Live and they started talking about their, you know, the, the capacity of some of their in-person events or, a lot smaller than we thought, but they're still going to be hybrid, right? Uh, yeah, we're going to bump that up later. I mean, it, calling it now is, seems foolish to me. Yeah, they put a number out there today, and I was like, wow, that's a real low number. I didn't expect that number, but okay, that's great. Uh, yeah, like you said, maybe it opens up as time goes on. Um, I mean, obviously, you know, events excite people, right? And they get people kind of involved, and you get the hallway conversation back, although that's what we're trying to recreate here on Channel Strong Tour. Uh, hopefully, you know, as the conferences come back, well, the hallway and the bars and all that will come back too. But um, what would you tell, would you incur, I mean, again, everybody's going to make a personal decision, right? Based on their situation, based on their health and totally expected. And we're not arguing against that, but would you encourage people to actually start coming out, you know, to the conference? Is that something that you think actually helps MSPs decide how to grow and operate their businesses. Thousand percent. You get to meet vendors uh, and and create a connection with them and really understand more than just over the phone. Uh, and then the other thing is that you, you get to be a part of the channel community. You know, yeah. I mean, it's one of the best times that you know you, you learn about your business and even you know I learned about you know running business and doing product stuff just at the bar. You know, Rob Ray and a few MSPs and talking shop and. You know, that's how business is done. It's it's over a cocktail or it's at a dinner or whatever. Like it's part of the human experience and that work can't just be just siloed. Like you got to go out and experience it. And uh, um, so, yeah, I'd say definitely go to events. Why wouldn't and you? So, and so from your side of the aisle, I would assume that 
the the if a partner showed up to the uh, an event or a conference and actually got something out of it versus somebody who never showed up at all or never decided to go at all i'm just talking historically now right mm-hmm. is it generally is the general food of thought correct is the guy that showed up end up becoming stronger with the relationship and do more versus the guy that does it thousand percent of course absolutely yeah i mean because again it, it you know some of the biggest times some of the biggest times that you create like really strong partnerships with um you know between the vendor and the partner it is actually in times of distress um and just everything's hitting the fan and uh the fact that they just sort of have known you in the flesh and that they could call you or they email you and you know them and that you're able to just work together get something solved um like those are big moments you know and that i, I just don't think that you get to build those relationships without knowing these people or seeing them, you know, and, and, uh, basically it, it humanizes the relationship, right? It's not, Hey, you know, we're, we're corporate America here. It's like, no, we're people too. And we want to jam. Yeah. Yeah. And just like, we spend so much time at work. There should be some fun parts of it. And I, I, this is just a personal opinion, but I like traveling and I like, um, you know, meeting with other business people and I always talk shop. And so, yeah, like it just it adds a lot of quality to to life for for me, and uh, and that has been robbed from me in this last year, and I think it's been robbed from everybody, uh, and I'm excited to to not have that be the case anymore. Hundred percent. So this was awesome. It was like a behind the scenes, you know, uh, cribs uh, conversation of of you know how the how the uh, perception on each side kind of you know jams together, which is good. And and quite frankly, I think more of this needs to happen because. That way you take away the, the, you know, the keyboard guys and you actually put the real stuff out there so that you're not just speculating. I think that's really important. Um, hey, guys, if I thought this was a great conversation, we were just talking about general industry stuff. This is great. But we're going to have the Zoras team back. They were, they, were, they were great, right? I kind of tagged them in because uh, Ken was, was tied up today. I see JP's on the call. So, JP, we're going to see you soon. We're going to go in the JP shop soon. But, um, on Thursday at one o'clock Eastern time, the Zorus team's coming back and we're going to talk about what they're up to. You know, the, you know, there are a lot of familiar faces over there. They're building something really interesting. And if you're interested about a different approach, I know I'm going to say the word security. Everyone's like, too much security. Okay. Okay. Way different approach, way different approach. So you should come on Thursday and just learn and see what's happening here because you see what they did on the, with the, the last company. You might have something bacon over here too. And I think it's worthwhile. So come back on Thursday, one o'clock. We're going to have our team back again. We're going to get into the nuts and bolts of what they're, what they're baking and cooking over there in Connecticut. And then you'll be able to ask your questions as well and, and kind of dig into their world and, and figure out what's going on. So howdy, JP. We'll see you in a second. So one o'clock Eastern time Thursday, just, you know, if you're already registered, you'll get the link. If not, you know, again, come back. This session was recorded. The next session was recorded. All of the past sessions were recorded. You can find them at mspinitiative.com, including the Channel Strong Tour. We're going to be we have nine more days on the tour. So if you're in Florida, Louisiana, Texas, you know, you know, a couple of last stops here in Texas and Atlanta area, come out, come out. We have, you know, you can do a lunch or you can come out in the evening, kind of tailgate edition. Join us. Absolutely free. And we're going to have the Zorus team with us hopefully next quarter while we're on the road. And lastly, we do monthly giveaways and there's giveaways happening costs you absolutely nothing but if you don't put your name in you can't win it's like the lottery you don't buy the ticket 
You ain't going to win. So please, msbinitiative.com, you'll have all of that stuff there. And we'll see you back here Thursday, 1 o'clock. Guys, it was an absolute pleasure. I appreciate you guys jumping on last minute. Thank you. Thanks, George. You too. Got it. Talk soon.